Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. And we're back with Tripping Over the Barrel on Blue Shirt Friday. Nobody told me that, Tim. Where was the memo? I, I didn't know. This is a complete fluke, man. I probably have some, although, as you know, I'm on the road. We didn't do a recording last week when I was up in New Hampshire, staying in a basement with the family. Now I'm staying in a basement in Massachusetts with the family. I can get used to this basement life. It's not too bad. A little couch so is it considered a vacation if you're just in a basement up there? It's more of a trip. It's more of a trip. The trip to Mexico was a vacation, even, even with the family. This is, this is a trip. We've been in the car a lot, um, doing lots of... Uh, you know, it, swimming at lakes and um, driving from this place to that place, making people go to restaurants I worked at 20 something years ago, even if they're bad, uh, whatever. Um, but here we are, right? We're in uh, Sharon, Massachusetts, just outside of Foxborough, home of the six time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. But we also have a Dallas Cowboys fan here on, with man. us. So, Tim, if you'd like to introduce <laughs> our friend, Joe. You know, when we started this podcast, oh, man, almost a year and a half ago now, I was just kind of thumbing through LinkedIn, looking for people who were doing things on LinkedIn, adding content, thought that'd be a good thing to add and stumbled across Joe or Joseph here and thought, man, this would be a good guy to bring on because he's going to bring a field, you know, the field exposure that we haven't had. Almost everybody we talked to are in the office or sales guys or something like that. So anyway, I finally, it, it dawned on me. He released a video and I, it caught me again. I was like, oh, we need to bring Joseph on. Um, so anyway, here we are. Uh, he's got a great background. This is going to be a lot of fun. He's, he's, uh, he's geeked up for this. So I think we should just get started. So I, I can jump in, Joe. I know we've got a whole bunch of questions for you. But when I was getting a beer upstairs, shout out Trillium Brewing, uh, one of my favorite breweries in the world, right down the street, you... Um, we're saying that you've been in movies and maybe even met Mark Wahlberg. We got to get into that. But before we jump into that segment, who are you? Give me the full deep dive on Joe Norman. Who am I? Joseph. I'm Joseph Anthony Norman. Uh, you know, I'm from born and raised in Midland, Texas, which is oil and gas country, Permian Basin. Midland Lee Rebel. Uh, Midland Lee Rebel, uh, you know, two time state champion, one time national champion. Football? Uh, in, in football, yeah, correct. I was a middle linebacker. Um, defensive MVP along with Cedric Benson, who was the offensive oh, MVP. Rest in peace, uh, said. God bless the dead. And so, uh, you know, football is my background. Uh, West Texas is my background. I got a, a full scholarship to go to Texas Tech University. Went to Tech. I played up there. Three-year letterman. And, uh, wow. and and yeah, I left there and went straight into Hollywood making movies. Then after Hollywood making movies, I jumped back into the oil field where I was always from. So, yeah, that's kind of like the quick rundown of, of Joseph Anthony Norman, man. And like, you know, it's been a it's been a, it's been a life of, uh, you know, what do you call it? Just different experiences, man. I've I've lived from the East Coast to the West Coast, uh, you know. I've I've dabbled in a lot of things, so uh, yeah, man, just just shoot, just shoot, and then we'll we'll see where it goes. Let's talk about what you're doing right now. I, I you know, uh, so the videos on LinkedIn that caught my attention. You were, I guess, the first one was early in COVID. You were like, "Hey, is anybody doing any uh, echo meters in the field anymore?" And I, and I saw <laughs> you. You're just heading out to well sites, going to to do, I guess, echo meters to shoot some echo meters, but yeah. Yeah. So what is, what is your company? What do you do? So, uh, I'll just tell you a little background on that. So I've been, I've been in the oil field my entire life, man. My dad was, uh, uh, he got on with Exxon back in the seventies. The only reason my dad got on with Exxon is because of affirmative action. Okay. That's the only reason they hired him. They were not hiring <laughs> black people before the seventies. Right. So uh, there's he got on with a, well, they got this mandate here, so I guess we got to hire a black guy. Literally, that's what happened. So, <laughs> so my dad got on. They didn't even tell him he needed, you know, what kind of clothes to wear or anything. So his first day out in the field was on a rig, on a pulling unit, and he was wearing a silk shirt and nice, nice clothes, like he's working in the office. And he's, <laughs> he's, 
more on top of the Derek. So <laughs> I heard these guys at Exxon like it's to awesome. dress nice. I better dress nice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, Sweetie degrees outside and he froze his butt off oh. the entire day. And uh, it, it was kind of like he, he, he thinks that they were trying to get him to quit, but he never quit. So he ended up working with Exxon for close to 20 years. Sure. And he felt like he hit the glass ceiling and he went out on his own as a lease operator, a contract lease operator, contract pumper. So in junior high, man, during the summers, I had to wake up 6 a.m. to go to the field with my dad. So I've been gauging tanks, checking meter runs and uh, doing roustabout work since I was 12 years old. So. Uh, I've been in the field my entire life, and I work with my dad, of course, with his company um, every summer and in between breaks as well. You know, uh, Christmas and uh, spring break, I was out in the field. So I grew up in the oil field, man, and uh, I worked with my dad. And in 2013, I decided to go out on my own, and I started 40 a which is a well optimization service. And I use Echometer equipment to acquire fluid level data, uh, dynamometer uh, surveys, and basically we help operators optimize artificial lift systems. And that's what I've been doing. And so most of my content on LinkedIn, most of my network on LinkedIn is oil and gas related people. So most of my content is oil and gas content that I post. I think one time I posted something that had nothing to do with oil and gas, like two weeks ago, I talked about a trip that I took to Fort Worth, but most of everything that I talk about on LinkedIn is oil and gas related, but I do have other interests that um, that I'm involved in. But you have to follow me on my other social media to see those type of things. But yet, yeah, so so you know, being in this uh, West Texas, growing up in the oil field, man, it's just it was just natural for me to start uh, oil and gas business, <laughs> and and this one's the one that uh, was the easiest pivot from what I was already doing. I was a lease operator. And this was kind of the next step was to be a well technician. So I went out on my own as a well technician. And that's what I've been doing since 2013. Uh, awesome. but yeah. yeah, last year was hard, though. Last year was hard. Of course, in March, when the when the oil goes uh, negative $44 or whatever, um, yeah, I started getting the calls, hey, on an as-needed basis. Hey, as-needed basis. Hey, we don't need you anymore. <laughs> so uh, I had to pivot, do a lot of different things, but um, but yeah, I'm still here, man. And uh, this week was one of my busiest weeks that I've had in 18 months. I, I went out to the field three days in a row. So I'm right right now doing things, doing, doing things. things, man. This Feeling is blessed. This is so. I got a lot of questions, but also <laughs> have some quick commentary. Like I, Tim knows this about me. There, there's somewhere in. Somewhere in, in my soul where I somehow believe that I also was an all-state linebacker at a school like Midland <laughs> League and got a scholarship to college somewhere in Texas and, you know, got us. Yeah, yeah, it was it was awesome. It never it's actually really happened in, but in my mind. Really, really it actually deep. was it was Division three intramural sports <laughs> um, flag football, which was still fun in its own right. Yeah, but but yeah. as far as Midland League, Colin McClellan went there. Do you know Colin? Colin McClellan? Uh, 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 McClellan, because I think he's the M same. Sim similar age, I think. Was he class of 2000? <sighs> I don't I think, think he's, he's, no, he's younger. younger than that. He's younger than that. He, he's like okay. 2009 or something. He, he's yeah, the, we're right on now. the Digital Wildcatters platform. He's, I think, the CEO. He just got an award. Uh, congrats, Colin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, I had no idea he went to Midland Lee. Yeah, for sure. For sure he went to Midland Lee, 100%. Wow, no, I did not know that. Thanks for letting me know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I figured there was some connection, but maybe it's a huge, huge high school. So that's like, you know, I, I grew up in just another part of the world in, in uh, New Hampshire, right, New England. And I went to a high school that football was really important, but never on the same like level as a national team. Like You guys would have just run us completely off the field. But nonetheless, <laughs> there was a book written and movies and all that stuff about your school and, and sort of whole that, that whole area and how it is. Like, what is it like being part of that whole, like, that's as prestigious in my mind as it gets for, for high school level football. What, what was that like with 20,000 people in the stands for high school football games or more? Well, it was, it was, it was nice. It was intense. I, I can say looking back as, as an adult, what we went through uh, as teenagers, it, it, you know, the Olympics are on. I don't want to compare anything to that big a stage, but it felt like the Olympics. For, for sure. I mean, 
every time that you lined up in four or five A football, which was it was District Four or Five A back then, every time you lined up in that district, you know you were going to war, and you knew that it was going to be a close game. You knew it was going to be a battle, and it, you uh, being having them writing the book uh, Friday Night Lights and having them come up with the movie and the TV show. Um, with Friday Night Lights, you, you knew that you were, were part of history. You knew every time Midland Lee played uh, uh, Odessa Permian that you were going to be the first highlight on uh, the uh, the high school football showcase that That's night. Awesome. That's awesome. You know? So you, you knew you were going to be on TV, so you got to show out. You got to, uh, and, and not only that, all the scouts were at those games. The Texas is yeah. Those the, are guys who play in the, the NFL, OU. right? Those guys right, play in the NFL right. in those games. So, so you knew it was big, and and we felt that weight and that that intenseness. And and besides, our coaches reminding us who we were playing. Our parents are reminding us who we were playing. Our classmates are reminding us about the big game. Our teachers are asking us, "Are we ready?" You know. So it was nowhere you can go in the whole city where nobody's reminding you what's coming up on Friday night. Yeah, so, but you didn't uh, need to be reminded. Well, no, 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 not at all, because uh, you know what our coaches used to do, Coach Parchman and Coach Smith and Coach Rieger, they used to go get article clippings and post it in the locker room about how this, how Odessa Permian is going to whoop our face. Yeah, and that that was pure motivation for us. So like, that's yeah. all you had to do is tell us who's going to slap us around. And this is like, oh, no, that's not happening today. Not tonight. You know, so. It was That's always great. intense. It was always uh, it, it was always the highlight of, of my high school career because um, we did so well. We responded well to it, and we uh, went through the playoffs, and we won a championship. So we did what we were supposed to do, and the notoriety that we still get to this day, and it was 21 years ago, yeah. we just got inducted into the Hall of, into the, uh, <laughs> Hall of Fame. Like, we just had a 20-year championship reunion. These are still my friends. These are still my, my my teammates, you know, and we haven't been in high school in 20 years. So it was a bond that's never going to be broken. That's for sure. Well, so I have my my connection to Midland Lee. We were – I'm class 88 in high, from high school, Del Rio, Texas. So our okay. senior year, we contracted with Midland Lee to meet for a scrimmage, for our preseason scrimmage, and we met halfway <laughs> – in the thriving metropolis of Ozona, Texas. <laughs> Wait, what's in the middle there? I think Ozona's got a good restaurant we can hit after the game. Yeah, Ozona. And, and, uh, I, I mean, we didn't belong on the same. Is, uh, is, is I-10, you know, that's the yeah. only thing about Ozona. <laughs> but, you know, we didn't belong on the same field. But, you know, I remember when the coach came in and announced that our scrimmage was going to be Midland Lee. This was in spring ball. And uh, I was – I had just moved to Del Rio, and I just said uh, – my eyes went big because I was the only one who knew Midland Lee had just played in the semifinals a year before, and we were going to say, "Holy crap, we don't belong on the field with those guys," and and we didn't. But you know, anyway, <laughs> you had to find out to for yourself, though. Um, <laughs> no, that's that. I mean, that's tremendous, and th- th- it's just exciting to hear. I, I wonder if a lot of those guys end up in the in the oil field, right? Because it really is the business out there, you know. It's right. 90% 90% of it of the all of the business out there is oil and gas related mm-hmm. in some way, shape, well, or form. Yeah, I, I have friends who are superintendents, drilling supervisors, pumpers, um, engineers. Um, just right off the top of my head, yeah, I can I can probably name a dozen teammates that are in the industry. So, yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. much um, you know the direction you go depending on where you go in college. Or what you do, you know, but you you probably gonna end up in an oil field somewhere. Even bef- even I mean, yeah. even if you don't try to get into the oil business <laughs> in 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 Midland, Texas, yeah. 2018, I'm talking to a bartender at the local Sheridan Hotel, and he says, "I get offered daily to go work somewhere in the field." He said, "It's it's you you can't avoid it out there." So some it's right. it is a boom town when it's going good. Holy crap! You can't you can't shake a stick yeah. at a job. Good now. that's what you were saying, it's, right? It's good right yeah, now. When, when it's going good, you you there there's no lack of work out here, and the rent goes higher too. So <laughs> so it's like a give and a take. You know, saying like, yeah, it's more jobs available, more high paying jobs available, but usually um, 
everything else, the groceries, the rent and everything else goes up. So, you know, it's a give and take. But um, for the most part, the majority of the people um, in this area are working in the oil and gas industry and there's no way around it. So you have to have a a little bit. I I have a lot of respect for it because that's how I was raised. I was raised with a daddy in the oil field. You know, I was raised with um, with all all of his friends were his co-workers in the oil field. So, um, you know, that's just that's just the way things goes in West Texas, man. And you know, know, there was a I'm on this uh, the energy fin twit. Right. I love it. You're on Twitter. There's a bunch of these. It's all these oil field guys or back office guys, a lot of them with anonymous personalities, some with some without. But what's happened, which has been amazing, is more and more video and content coming from the field, which is really what Mm -hmm. I like because I don't really have the time or desire to go to the field. It doesn't like fully benefit what I do professionally, but I'm curious about it, right? Because I'm selling solutions that add value to it. So it's great to see like, Mm -hmm. hey, went to this well right here. It needed this piece to replace that and it increased production. It's like, oh, that is such great tangible content. So is that kind of what you started doing? You started kind of filming what, what it was like, like a day in the life or just take a look at this. We can learn yeah. something. What, what, like, what got you going on the, the social media and, and content kick? So back in the day, we called it vlogging. So I don't know what they call it nowadays, <laughs> but I, I call myself, um, you know, I started a YouTube channel. Um, I started creating content. I was like, well, I, I at least want to capture what I'm doing. So, um, so I was like, and people don't get to see this. The way I thought of it uh, was if I could have saw my dad starting out in the oil field on that rig with a silk shirt on in the 70s, wouldn't it be cool to, to, cap, to for him to capture that moment and for me to relive that moment somehow? So I'm looking at my, my, ch- you know, my youngest children that are in the house with me are 10, uh, four and a one-year-old baby girl and they uh I, I want them to when they get you know older to see what, what what did daddy do in the field so that was my uh reasoning behind creating content in the field it's just because you know you normally can't really bring kids to the field um you know you can do it inconspicuously <laughs> if, if the if the, stay in the truck is right. stay in the truck stay in the truck right get down if somebody's coming but uh yeah so so i i took it upon myself to capture my work and what i'm doing out in the field and and share it with the world some of the stuff i have so many videos i haven't even shared uh you know because i'm i'm still i'm an artist to some aspect i'm an artist so what I what I put out there, I kind of want it to be a little bit of a little curated. Um, you know, it's not all uh, just raw, but, uh, you know, I felt like um, people don't see what goes on in the field as well. So uh, I feel like if they you have to you have to make it. People have this idea of what the oil field is. It's a bunch of guys running around, spilling oil everywhere and not giving a dang about the environment, right? So you have to kind of change that narrative by uh, documenting what you're doing. So you document what you're doing and say, yeah, I do care about the environment. I care about um, this oil well and everybody else cares about it too because you're all using our products. So we got to find a common ground here to come together and and find a new... uh, agreement on this industry because you know with this whole thing is uh <laughs> is being basically uh well it's under attack it's under attack is being uh like marginalized is being demonized and so uh, we got to find a way to change the narrative for the oil and gas and i felt like i could be a, a advocate for that by basically just showing what I'm doing every day in the oil field. So I thought it would be a good idea to do that. We should hook him up with Mike Umbro, awesome. Jeremy. Yeah, I mean, that, we should have come up with Colin McClellan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. But no, really, I mean, that is, that's fantastic. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive deeper into to all, of your, all of your content since it sounds like you've put out a, a decent bit. Um, but after I was a high school um, football national and Texas state champion as the captain of yeah, the yeah. Def- defense <laughs> and lettered at uh, division one school or a ranked program and started. 
I um, was like, what am I going to do? So, of course, like I went to Hollywood and started hanging out with Mark, Mark Wahlberg. It was, it was obviously, yeah. it was obviously the play. So, I, I just, let's talk a little bit about how I just glanced right off of that. I, I've now created this. This is me. You're me. Your life is <laughs> mine. I'm curious. So, what? So, you finish. You're like, I'm done with with uh, college. I'm I'm done with ball. I, I want to go do something else. And you decide yeah. you want to be in movies. Yeah, it was actually a hard tr- a, a transition for me at that time because I was teeter-tottering between continuing my football career and then moving on to, to Hollywood. So initially, when I came into Texas Tech, I was a theater arts major. Wow. And with, with theater arts, you have to get shop hours. Uh, nobody told me that I had to get a certain amount of shop hours to pass my classes. And I had to go to football practice. I had to go to study hall. I had to do everything that I had to do for for football. So they they couldn't coexist. And nobody explained that to me before I went to school. You'll (laughs) figure it out. You'll figure it out. I mean, that's what they tell you, right? Exactly. So, so they figured it out for me and they switched my neighbor, my, my major to broadcast journalism. I hated broadcast journalism. It was like the only thing we're going in there is reading articles about politics. I was like, this is not for me. I don't, uh, it's not for me. So I got disinterested in school and I did not uh, play my senior year. So that time, Friday Night Lights was recruiting football players in Odessa, Texas to be in this movie, Friday Night Lights. Oh, right on. Right. And so I had a choice. I can either uh, try out for this movie and be labeled a professional because they would be, be they would be paying me, mm. and I would lose the rest of my eligibility. Oh, which they just changed finally. Oh, oh my god! Come on, man. I'm I take the movie. I, I mean, unless unless I, mean, I know like, I'm going pro, I'm taking the movie. It's, it's right. just always been such bullshit, right? And it, yeah, to have yeah. that firsthand example, it's like. Uh, okay, because you're really good at something, you can't get paid to do something else. Right. And it has nothing to do with it. It's got nothing to do with it. You weren't paid to be on a football commercial, right? Right. You right. Know what I mean, it's like I'm, I'm, glad the, I'm glad the NIL rules have changed. But when I was playing back in the day, um, that that was that was the uh, options that I had. So I could either uh, play uh, professionally, which was they were calling it, or I could, uh, you know, I would have to give up my eligibility, or I could try to, uh, you know, finish my college career. Well, I made, I made the, the um, made the movie. They hired me for the movie for Friday Night Lights, and I ended up filming in Odessa, in Austin, in Houston. You know, the big game was in Houston versus Dallas Carter, so we filmed for three or four weeks in Houston. And I got to know uh, several people on the set, including uh, um, uh, dang, I can't even remember his Mark, name right now. Mark, Wal- Mark Wahlberg. No, no, it no, wasn't no. Mark. It was Billy Bob Thornton. I'm sorry, oh, Billy B- Bob oh, Thornton. BBT. BBT. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Billy Bob Thornton and uh, and Berg. He's the one who uh, who directed that movie. Um, really good, really good people, man. Uh, so what set. parts did you play? Did you play multiple parts? Yeah, so so what happened was they hired a group of football players to play all the other teams that Permian was playing. So all the teams, like I played Midland Lee. I was on Midland Lee's team. Nice. Uh, and so when they give Bruce, you your old number? No, they didn't. I was a different position. I was a, a oh. defensive end or something. And so if you look at the movie where Booby Miles had uh, – gouged uh, got his eyes gouged like that if you go b- watch rewatch the movie that was me doing that and i had a hard time doing that because i was like no man we literally we don't cheat like that we don't play dirty we just, <laughs> we just beat you up you know Paul we, Howard, midland league dog <laughs> right so i was like i know this i live this man so <laughs> let's so be good. real about it but um, but yeah, so 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 we I played on Midland Lee, I played on OHS, Midland High, uh, the the Dallas Carter team. So we we all missed and matched, you know, um, whichever team. Yeah, so it was cool. And throughout that, I made contacts and made a network of people. So the next movie that came around, they just called me up and say, "Hey, you want to be a part?" So right. 
you know, that's how I got into Invincible with Mark Wahlberg. And we were in uh, Philadelphia filming uh, the the story of Vince Papali, the 30-year-old bartender who walks on to the Philadelphia Eagles and plays for three and a half, four years in the league. So, uh, which is incredible. And Mark Wahlberg, he's one of the coolest guys I ever worked with because after every single uh, day filming, he would have his personal chef cater dinner oh my God. for 30 to 40 guys. Like, Making amazing fresh meals, vegetables, meat, yeah, all that. He was the coolest guy ever, man. He would invite us out to golfing. He would, uh, he would invite us out to the club or whatever we were doing. I remember this specifically because uh, if y'all are familiar with boxing, when um, Oscar De La Hoya versus uh, uh, Pacquiao. No, Pacquiao? no, it was, it, it was Bernard Hopkins. Oh, well, Oscar De La Hoya versus Bernard Hopkins in Philly when Oscar got hit with the uh, with the body blow and went down. Yeah, Hopkins can hit. I was with Mark Wahlberg that night, and we had basically quarantined off a whole section of the club, and we were watching this while while you know the ladies were serving us chicken wings (laughs) and chips, chicken wings, triscuits, triscuits, cheese, charcuterie boards. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Oh man. And it was it was an amazing night, and then we went to the we took over the club. It it was just, I mean, when you talk about living a Hollywood lifestyle, I was living it because like it it was it was pretty spectacular. So from Invincible, I think we went to We Are Marshall, which was with Matthew McConaughey. Uh, We filmed that in Atlanta, right? And uh, yeah, that was it was it was tragic because the first scene that we filmed was in West Virginia at the cemetery where those guys were buried. And that was tough, man. It was tough filming it. It was tough talking about it. It was tough reliving it because everybody in the whole community still felt the the ripple effects from that. And then here are these Hollywood guys coming in here filming the movie at the actual ground where these these players were buried. It was a real, real sensitive thing, man. So uh, but it was fun. I got to uh, I got to film with Anthony Mackie, who is now the uh, I mean, he's Captain America now, I guess he's Captain yep. America. Oh, really? Anthony. Wow. Yeah. So so I was in a movie with Anthony Mackie um, and it, it was just a fun time. Man. And I, we also I also got the opportunity to film in Boston. So I lived in Boston for a, a couple of months. Okay, we all right. Whatever, <laughs> you know. I'm a Texas boy. I'm a Texas boy. You know, I'm you in got a basement. Like I said, I'm in a basement. I'm in a warehouse. Astros, Cowboys. You know, that's all that matters down here. You know? Astros, <laughs> so, Astros, man. Astros are nice. Yeah. So um, anyway, I got the film in Boston with Dwayne the Rock Johnson, and it was called The Game Plan. And we filmed, it was a Disney movie. It was a fun movie where The Rock was a quarterback and he finds out he has a little girl and he has to take care of her. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it was, good balls uh, and everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have three daughters, so we had to watch that, that movie. For sure. Yeah, it's definitely a, 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 a daddy-daughter date movie. <laughs> and Jeremy, I was thinking, too, you know, right? I started yeah. our name drop thing with the last episode. We just upgraded the name drops on this show quite a bit over the last one, don't you think? <laughs> Yeah, Matthew McConaughey, Billy Bob Thornton, it's Mark Wahlberg. Uh, when Mark Wahlberg comes in third, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, what's that guy's name? <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's no, that's so, you know, the new Captain America. You know. Yeah. He had the full. He had the full the Hollywood lifestyle acting career yeah. going. And yeah. uh, why'd you, what, so you, then you pivoted, you pivoted to oil field. What was the, uh, the, what happened? Why'd you do that? Yeah. So it went. And so even though I was in Hollywood, living a Hollywood lifestyle, I didn't have the Hollywood income. <laughs> so, right. so naturally, naturally I go back to uh, what my skill set is. And my skill set is in oil and gas in the production. So uh, my dad, like he says that he prayed me back home. And um, and I came back and I worked for him for a few years and then I went out on my own in 2013. So 
it was really um, a, a move just because of finances. And it was a it was an easy pivot because it was something that I already knew. And this was back in uh, two, right after I got through filming movies, try 2007, 2000, I think 2008 was when a barrel of oil was $148 and people were going absolutely nuts out here. And um, it was just money being thrown everywhere. So it was easy to just slip back in here and find my lane. Yeah, and <laughs> so, um, so I, I began uh, lease operating and, and pumping uh, under my dad's company. I did that for uh, four or five years. And my brother, my oldest brother, John, who's a city councilman in Midland, uh, Texas right now, he uh, took over the business. And I worked for my brother for like a year. And I was the one who had worked this whole entire time for my dad. The natural choice for giving me the business. I can't do it, dad. Come on now. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, man. So I I found out who was his favorite son when that happened. But it was the best thing for me because it it it, it made me you know it, it lit a fire up under me. So uh, I was able to go out a year later and start my business, and we've been in business ever since. And and just imagine the ups and downs since 2013 in the oil and gas. Oh yeah, we've, we've been able to survive all those ups and downs. And the biggest down was last year. We still been able to survive that because early on when I was making uh, you know high six figures. I paid things off, man. Like I paid off my equipment. I paid off my trucks. I paid off everything. And I wasn't sitting here with a whole bunch of debt, you know, trying to keep up. So that was the biggest. uh, uh, I tell you what, a lot of the companies you were doing contract work for didn't do that. That's why they had so much trouble. That's true. That's true. And uh, so a lot of people got caught when the tide goes out. Um, What's the old saying? You know, if you when the tide goes out, you find out who's swimming naked. Like so, so the tide went out. I like you, that one. It's the emperor's new clothes, right? The emperor's right. New clothes. <laughs> and you, you find out who's who's swimming naked. So uh, I wasn't exactly swimming naked, but I only had a pair of shorts on. I have nothing else. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least you at least you had that. Yeah, that, that's uh, no, definitely that that would be part of my life curve too, right? Is is after my my acting career because I wasn't making enough money, even though everybody wanted me to, and there was lots of promises. It was time to go back home to the oil field and and get a little bit rich but then ultimately everything starts to crash you see the bottom what am i supposed to do well what you're supposed to do is exactly what you're doing because you're still riding riding the tide right this is this is an industry that has been cyclical forever right and it's, Mm -hmm. it's something that i've been able to accept and fully understand and being back in new hampshire this last week i'll never forget it because there's always one place I used to drive by when I went to work to wait tables, Hart's Turkey Farm, where it's Thanksgiving every day, except for Christmas. It's got to be closed one day. But anyways, went, going back and forth every day to Hart's Cumberland Farms, Cumbies, 99 cents. This must have been, what, 99, 2000 era, 99 cents, maybe a dollar nine for gas, right? I drove past mm-hmm. that this time, and I want to say it was 325. Right. So and that's wow. just a reflection, right? Three, it's 300 percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, it's just that kind of industry. Right. And it's it's very right. tough. So, of course, the, the whole I thought it was going to be easy forever, too. I got introduced to this industry 2008, but mm-hmm. brief blip, then back out and really good till 2015. You're paying off yeah. everything. You get used to a certain style of life. You're like, oh, I'm really making like 60% of what I made last year, 40%, 80%, whatever percent it is. If it's under 100, that's a problem. Right. right. Yeah. And, and I think people in this industry learn real quick this is, uh, you got to be careful, right? This is going to be peaks and valleys. You got to be some able to people, Some people learn real quick, and other people are just like, Lord, please just give me one more boom, and I promise not to mess it up this time. Yeah. <laughs> I got. I own that bumper sticker. I own that bumper sticker. Oh, it's so funny though. It's so true. It's so true. Well, hey, Joseph. Easier. So, Joseph, you know, you you've obviously got a lot of windshield time out in the field. You know, you, you're going out to well sites. You're contracted to go out to do optimize a well. <clears throat> Strikes me that you know something. You just don't know what you're going to find when you show up on site. They may tell mm-hmm. you one thing. You're going to go out and do whatever. 
What's the craziest thing that you've run across out on a well pad or on a well site? You know, just complete shock you. Well, um, I would say um, if you drive up to a location and you're about to go up to the tank battery uh, to gauge a tank, and you 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 just you're in your own zone, you're in your own mind because you're out there by yourself, and then you look up, and then you're looking right dead at a bobcat staring right at you. Ooh, oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wake you up. <laughs> so yeah, I'm driving the location. I'm, I think I'm down south in Upton County, and uh, and and I'm driving up there, and I, and I park in front of the battery, and I start walking up with my gauge line, and I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me. And he gets scared, and I get scared, so I'm jetting right back down the stairs to try to go to my truck. And he follows me down and runs off, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. I I was like, where's my knife at? I could have. I could have got scratched up real good. Of course, good. I started thinking, what the hell is a bobcat doing on top of a tank? What's he looking for up there? No, that's, this is what they do. The bobcats, they'll hunt. They'll go find uh, a rodent or something like that, and then they'll climb up there to eat it. So a lot of the times in the field, you'll see the rem- remnants of guts and stuff like that from animals uh-huh. that have been eaten, and they usually climb the tank battery to stay safe from anything else trying to get it. And that's where they go. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of uh, uh, common, I would say. But uh, another time, which is uh, a, a crazy time, uh, one of the biggest, it, it, was a, it was an intentional accident. So uh, I had two loads. I had two loads to sell. I had written up two tickets waiting to be hauled. I come back the next morning and all my oil is on the ground. Oh, oh no! Whoa, whoa! The first load left the valve open. Oh no! Someone went out there to sabotage the, this, this these tank batteries, Terrorism. and they went and opened every single valve. These are five hundred barrel. Well, no, they were 300, 300 barrel tanks. Three hundred barrel tanks. I had a load in each tank. They opened the valve on each one, and they opened the water tank valve. And we had a dike. We had a dike around it, of course, but not that big. Not no. It, it filled up the dike, but the load line is outside of the dike because you know the truck has to pull up to it. They left that one open, so it flooded the entire area, and it was just straight crude in the entire area. And that was probably the, we we had to call the sheriff and had to call the environmental and had to call the everybody because. It, it was the worst thing I've ever seen uh, in the field, man. And besides, I don't want to get too, but besides the wrecks, you know, oh, yeah. Right, yeah, disastrous. Besides the wrecks and yeah. the stuff that you run into on these highways out here, that's dangerous. the craziest thing that I've those seen. Roads, those roads are very dangerous. Very dangerous. But, uh, I mean, that, yeah. that's, oh, God. That, first of all, <laughs> with, with the Bobcat, it's like, I mean, how stupid are you, Bobcat? When you go up there, like any animal that's going to be able to get you, can also climb up the fucking steps, yeah, man. Like, they'll, right. they'll, they'll figure, including you, including you. By the way, I think um, they just, you know, it's like a tree. It's the, the tallest tree around, I guess. Well, yeah, it's it's their it's their instinct. That that's that's very funny. I'd expect that maybe for a lease op uh, or pumper in Colorado, not not so much right. in West Texas, but who knows, man? West Texas is, is just got a little bit of everything. It's wild, man. It's when still I, wild. When I did here. my internships yeah. in South Texas, it was badgers. Oh wow! Yeah. They're always badgers down around the, you know, in the the scrubland. So that's we saw badgers. Well, not all the time, but you'd see their their dens all the time, and every once in a while you see one of them up. Hmm. Man. But the oil, the whole oil thing. So so then, like, how does that get remediated? How does that get cleaned up? Like you said, you basically started a process. Is there insurance on that? Because that's akin to if you're you selling a physical product that's worth twenty thousand dollars in in your bag, and somebody steals it, right? I mean, yeah. that's forty thousand dollars. There's liability to someone, right? So how's things well, like that taken care? It's definitely a felony. It's a it's a it's a yeah. felony offense, and um, and you know I. The, the way we handle it is, of course, we it goes up, up, up the ladder. So we uh, uh, contact our superintendents, and they have to contact corporate because it's an environmental thing. 
So they have to make sure they remediate it. So the first thing they do is build a dike around it all and try to, you know, contain it as much as possible. Then they get a, a vacuum truck over there to try to suck all the oil up to put it as much as they can back in. But yeah. overnight, most of it is soaked into the ground. So yeah. you have to dig down into where there's no oil soaking and you have to wow. take that dirt and you have to haul it off and remediate it. So it's a whole process that you have to go through just for that. Not after losing two loads of oil, but you have to go through the whole process of cleaning it up. So I'm I'm guessing, man, that was a at least a hundred thousand dollar ticket just to get back to normal on that deal. Uh, and you probably had to shut the well in for those two weeks. Well, all the wells were, were, uh, were, well, no, no, we, we didn't. Only thing we had to do was close the valves. And okay. we were, yeah. you know, yeah, so. I mean, that, yeah. oh man, that is, that's really yeah. something. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, it's good for me to hear that because the, look, you treat the environmental disaster the same way anybody would, right? You sort of build, build isolation to this, try to yeah. remediate it, take any product out if you're able to, to retain something but ultimately make it like salvageable land and not just total mm-hmm. oil and, and uh, you know, frack fluid wasteland, which, which is right. great. The, the, right? the idea, that's, the perception. that's the perception. The idea is to leave the environment the same way you found it. Whether that happens or not is a whole nother story. But the idea is to leave things exactly the way you found it. The way when they, when they cleared that land, when they started, uh, clearing the pad to drill that well, you need to go back exactly the way it was. All those mesquite bushes that were out there need to be put back. But at the at the end of the life cycle of the well, it's not usually the 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 operator who drilled that well. Yeah. It's some some guy down the line that's in third third stage of recovery yep. and he's the entry level operator and they're not gonna have the the cash to to remediate all of those things so we have to find a way to 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 prevent that have some sort of system to prevent that and to put the environment back right where it was because the people the environmentalists are going to continue to come after you and if they have something to come after yeah i mean if they don't have anything to come after then what what are we talking about yeah. So we, we have to be responsible. And uh, but I understand it's a you open in a can of worms when you talk about that. <laughs> no, no doubt. All right. I want to I want to pivot a little bit more social here on this one. So I kind of told you we we might at, get into this, but I really want to dig in. You already said your, your dad was uh, hired by Exxon due to affirmative action. But obviously sure. you grew up West Texas in the oil field. You've been around it. But I just want to understand as a black man in the industry for now, you know, you've got quite a bit of experience now. What's that been like? How's it different for you than say, you know, somebody else, uh, you know, the regular old white guy in West Texas joining the industry. What's that been like for you? Well, um, I was told to always put out my best effort because I'm going to be looked at and scrutinized more heavily than some of my uh, white counterparts. So everything that we did in the field is we, we, is top notch. We never left nothing unturned when we were operating. So every little small detail that we could do, we performed it. It was times that we we got alarms. We had to go out in the middle of the night and stay out there all night. And we had to do that because other people wasn't willing to. And if we didn't, we would be looked at a little bit differently or a little bit more harshly. And so I can say that a lot of that was... um, a lot of it was true, but some of it is, uh, it, I, I call it PTSD. PTSD from generational PTSD. Because my dad, he had it way harder than me. Yeah. But some of the no things, doubt, no doubt. But some of the things that he had to avoid, uh, I, I didn't have to avoid. But we still kind of living under that same thought process where you have to abide, you know, we, we, we have to think about those type of rules. I know when I went out on my own, you know, I have locks. I have long hair too. So I'm black with long hair. I don't look like I belong out here, you know? So, so people perceptions can be off, but I tell you what, God has brought me to people in the oil and gas industry that has totally changed my perspective 
the first contract I got was with the Energy Corporation. And I walked Alabama. in. Alabama. Yeah, exactly. Straight up from Alabama. And I walk into this superintendent, this foreman's office. He's an older white man. And I'm coming in here with long hair uh, trying to get work from him. And the only thing I can think of is my perception to him. I'm like, what is he going to say? What is he going to do? We got in there and he looked me in my eyes. He's like, I'll give you a shot. I'll, I'll give you a shot. Just don't bullcrap me. And I was like, yes, sir. I understand. I couldn't bullcrap my daddy. So I, sh- I know I can't bullcrap you. And we got in there and we we didn't even end up talking about the services I was going to provide. We ended up talking about uh, his church down the street, his Baptist church. <laughs> it's like it totally changed my perspective on how I should conduct myself in the oil and gas industry. I shouldn't be afraid of what someone else thinks of me, even though the the um, the prejudice, the good old boy syndrome is still exists is still to this day. But you can't let that hold you back as a black man in America. You cannot let nothing hold you back from that, because most of the things that are going on are not really uh, happening is just your mindset, your mindset. So change your mindset and you can overcome most of those things. But there's still hurdles that we got to overcome. There's still stigmas to uh, you know, black people are lazy or they don't do the right job or they cut corners or something like that. So all those stereotypes, you got to blow out of the water with, with your hard work and with your perseverance. Yeah. And, and now yeah. you've got a reputation. So I'm sure I assume it's now right. easier for you now. Right. You've developed a reputation. They know you do it. I, right. can't never, I can't never I can't never do that, though. I can't go yeah. there. Yeah. I can never go there because I can never. Uh, take my foot off the gas. Well, once you have the reputation, you got to oh, keep you're, it. You're still right. they, they know me. They know that this and that. No, 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 no. I'm still going to perform my job at 100% because I don't want any excuses on my end. And that's the, the mindset that you have to have, especially being a black man out here. Is because at the end of the day, like, w- as a black man, we don't have the benefit of the doubt. No. Okay. Wow. We don't not have this, the not in this country. The I don't know what it's right. like elsewhere, but in this country, yeah. no, you're like two strikes every time you step to the plate. I hate to say it, and and I don't feel that way, right, but right, that's right, just right, how right, it right. is. It sucks. Yeah, that's how it is. So so we 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 live with that, and so with that, we're going to take that uh, into consideration, and we're going to perform accordingly. So uh, n- not taking anything from away from anybody else, but that's just how we're going to do things over here, and that's that's just the kind of microscope that we're under, and my dad was under. Like, I feel like I'm under it, but uh, I feel like it has, I mean, it's gotten a thousand times better since my dad entered the oil field 45 years ago. <laughs> like, so we got to take, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> you know, but here's the, here's the great thing. You, you've now made it easier because of the, the hard work you've done. You've made yeah. it easier. Maybe, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want anyone to start with any strikes, but maybe the next guy starts with one strike instead of two. Because of your efforts, your dad's efforts, right. and and the others before you, it, it yeah. hopefully yeah. hopefully it's you know obviously I want it to be a level playing field, but um, you know, it's, we're, Tim, your is, efforts are getting us there. This is this yeah. is important, right? Because it's you know it's sort of the times that we live in, but also sort of sort of just fundamentally, like we've talked about this before. I went to a high school with eight hundred kids, and I was the only Jew, right? So. In my mindset, I have this chip on my shoulder as well, whether or not it's realistic. You get out in the world, you realize, Jews, you're Mm -hmm. afforded every opportunity, and I'm white, right? So, I mean, yes, I've been given every possible opportunity there is. That said, there's there's still a mindset of, like, I've got to do this, and and that's never going to go away. And what you're doing is shaping perception for other people you meet. So because I grew up in an area that there were no Jews, it was very important for me for people to see how I was because I might be mm-hmm. the only exposure some of these country kids ever have to a Jew. Right. And I want them to yeah. see it's a nice guy. He's funny. He's cool. He's hardworking. What I mean, any of the things like I, I, I view that as, as important. And one of my mm-hmm. best friends from high school said, you know, my dad left my mom. He cheated on her with this Jewish woman and married her. And if it wasn't for you, I'd hate Jewish people. You know what I mean? So like it's, it's doesn't mm-hmm. take much if you're born with, with anything close to a, 
a strike against you. Right. right. So I, I really no, appreciate I, your story, man. Yeah, I agree with that because, and I think, uh, you know, going back to Tim, <clears throat> that's part, that's part of the reason why I want to, uh, create content in, yeah. in the oil field, because I feel like, uh, at the end of the day, at least you can see, um, someone who may not look like you, someone who, uh, you know, may not come from the same cultural background as you, but we're in the same industry. We're doing, we're dealing with the same oil field related things. We are going, we, we're, we're trying to solve the same artificial lift problems. I just happen to be black. <laughs> so I, I do kind of, uh, you know, I, I know that that's there. And I know that when people see a black man in the oil field with long hair like this, had my own business for the last eight years, it can change your perspective. So I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. So yeah, keep hustling, man. We really appreciate you. Yeah. So uh, let's let's uh, let you plug away here. So you know now, all of our friends in West Texas who need to contract someone to come and help them with their artificial lift, how do they get a hold of you, Joseph? So uh, they can get a hold of me several ways. They can hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm Joseph Anthony Norman on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also go to fluidlevels.com, F-L-U-I-D-L-E-V-E-L-S.com. Send me an inquiry. Let me know what you got. Um, you know, I at, at this point, like, I, I know what I'm doing when it comes to uh, well optimization. And my specialty is artificial lift systems is is, is rod pumps. That's, that's what I do. But I can shoot fluid levels on anything, on any type of well. I can shoot fluid levels up to 5,000 PSI. So if you have any need for that, um, yeah, hit me up. Let me know. All right, let's get Texas a busy five days a week. Out in the field five days a week. Five days a week. That's that what I'm saying. You, my, my wife is going to love me if I'm not in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Norman, my man, thank you so much for coming on, yeah. sharing your story with us, and 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 best of luck, man. I, I also want to give a shout-out real quick because you mentioned Tall City Brewing. A lot of people have mentioned that place to me now. So next time I go to Midland, I might put an event together or something there. And I hope to see you. Make sure you give me the invite, bro. Funk Futures at Tall City. Let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it. Come on. See you there, Tim.